know Bishop said script, or skip preliminaries, but I want to very quickly say I honor you and your family, honor our church leadership, and I honor uh, my parents. So, um, but I don't want to waste any of y'all's time, and I definitely am looking forward to the next minister, so I'll get right into it. Um, and I'll try to maintain uh, the 20 minutes, Bishop, um, but I do feel that God has let a word on my heart. Um, I, I don't want to take advantage of this situation. I am so grateful for the opportunity, and uh, I just want to go ahead and get right into it. Amen? All right, so uh, I'm going to read from two verses of Scripture, and it's going to be in John chapter 20, starting at verse 26 through verse 27. And uh, I'll go ahead and read. I, I hear some pages are still going through, but um, New King James Version is the version I'm reading out of. And after eight days, his disciples were again inside, and Thomas with them. Jesus came, the doors being shut, and stood in the midst, and said, Peace to you. Then he said to Thomas, Reach your finger here, and look at my hands, and reach your hand here, and put it into my side. Do not be unbelieving, but believing. And I just want to talk on a very quick thought. The evidence suggests otherwise. The evidence suggests otherwise. So I'm going to go ahead and put that scripture on a sticky note. We'll set it aside for just a second. Um, But I want to talk about something that I feel like has been increasingly uh, more apparent, especially if you watch the news, if you read news articles, what you're seeing in the last couple of years, many polls and surveys have come out and they're saying alarming things. They're saying less people are believing in God. And in your own personal circles, maybe you have seen people walk away from truth. And if we were to take all those things at surface level and just say, and believe what they're saying, what the world is claiming, that many people are leaving God, we could easily be discouraged. And we can say, well, the surveys say, the polls come back. And there was an interesting one that I actually heard. It's related to uh, in the United Kingdom. What they've said in the last couple of years is that people, less than half of the population in the UK is reporting that they're Christian. Less than half. And that number used to be significantly larger, but in the last couple of years, they've seen that decline. And... I I promise I will get back to that scripture here in just a bit, but I want to build a point. Um, In this environment in the UK, there's a small group that's that's emerged, and it was a a little news piece that I saw a little while ago that kind of alarmed me. There's this group of atheists that have come out in the UK, and they've started these small gatherings. And what they've done is they've occupied these old churches and they started mimicking church. They don't believe God. They have no form of curriculum. They just come, and they formed a pseudo-church. And this news piece came out, and, and the, the folks went out, the, 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 uh, the newsmen, and they started interviewing some of the folks, very interested, because it's a very small group, and they're taking over these little abandoned churches And they're saying, why do you feel it's necessary, if you don't believe in God, to replicate 
the church experience? And many of the responses were, well, honestly, I just miss the feel. I miss the environment. I miss the, the feeling of purpose that I had. When I live for God, I miss that certain thing that they couldn't quite articulate. And I can tell you, when I heard that news piece, what really struck in my heart was they couldn't articulate it because what they were trying to say is they were missing out on having a relationship with Jesus Christ. So you can try to replace all of the things that mimic the structure, and they sing their little songs, and they have someone speak as if he were a preacher and and try to give them these motivational uh, talks. But at the end of the day, they're still going to leave empty inside and their soul searching for something. So when I see a news piece like that, I'm not discouraged because I can see God's opened my eyes and he shared, these people are hungry and they're searching for something. Don't let the news, don't let people try to convince you that people are walking away from God. They may not be in truth. They may not be practicing the way you and I are, but their soul, there's nothing that could remove that desire and that hunger for something greater than what the world can offer. That hole will forever be empty until it's placed, until God replaces that empty space. And so I think that it, it's a modern trend. A lot of people are highlighting this, and people in the church that have left and walked away, a lot of my peers I've talked with, there's this new age, especially in our group, where everyone's enlightened. They go into colleges, and they've taken philosophy courses, they've read books, and they think we don't know about certain philosophers and great speakers they, that they claim, and they've read these books. But ultimately what I'm seeing, and I, and I shared this uh, with my wife, a lot of folks will come to me, and they feel like, hey, Brother Andrew, can I talk to you? And people I've known, grown up with, and peers, I was like, yeah, sure. And they always want to justify. Really, that's the only point, is they want to come and justify the way they're living and just say, well, you know, I just kind of want to share with you my thoughts, But all the while, while I'm speaking with them, I can feel that sense, that spirit inside of them that says, there's still something missing, Brother Andrew. They're not saying it directly. They're not saying it in words, but I can feel it. I can sense there's something that they're missing. And so they can be enlightened as much as they like and be well articulated and all the facts. But the experience that we have, that we know here today in truth, that surpasses all knowledge. That surpasses all survey, all professors, all lecturers. It doesn't matter. The scripture says, taste and see that the Lord is good. I'm telling you, if you taste God, you don't need the facts. You don't need the figures. God's spirit will guide you and you will know definitively that God is real. And that's what people are missing. That's what people are genuinely searching for. They think it's out there somewhere in some statistic, but all that will leave you empty inside. And so that's one way the enemy will try to attack our generation, that will try to attack people that we know in truth. But if the enemy can't get us that way, and we're convinced that God is real, what the enemy will also try to do, will try to convince us that the gifts of the Spirit Holiness, the way that we live, that we live in truth in this environment, in this church, 
that it's all not necessary. They'll try to tell you that, yes, you can have God. Yes, you can have Jesus and worship him, but you need to do it this way. You need to have this particular program in place. In order to reach people, you have to water down the scriptures, and you don't have to talk about this point or that point. But I can tell you that there is a prescription that Jesus gave to the church on how we are supposed to operate. I'm sorry, but if you read the word of God at all, you're going to come out reading on the other end and saying, I'm supposed to operate in the gifts of the spirit. I'm supposed to speak in other tongues. And when I lay hands on people, they shall recover, the scripture says. And these signs shall follow them that believe. In my name, they shall cast out demons. In my name, they shall speak with other tongues. Hallelujah. They shall take up serpents. And if they drink any deadly thing, it shall not harm them. They shall lay hands on the sick. And they shall, say shall everyone, they shall recover. This is the prescription of the church. This is how it's supposed to operate. Don't let anyone try to tell you with 30-second motivational speeches that try to convince you with pamphlets. This is how God wanted the church to operate. And I'm telling you, I'm so tired and I'm so sick of when I go on social media. And I know Bishop's got all these things about that. I'm not a big fan of social media. But you see, and you see these little clips and all these churches, and without naming any names... They, they condense the word of God into 30-second motivational messages. They extract all of the truth, all of the validity of the word of God, and they basically equivalent themselves to business motivational speakers, people that sell hotel uh, conference centers and try to motivate you how to be your better self. And I'm telling you, God's not just interested in us being our better selves, but he's interested in having an intimate relationship with each and every one of you. He's interested in operating in your life. He's interested in healing. He's interested in people receiving the gift of the Holy Ghost. That's what he is interested in. Hallelujah, Jesus. So I'm telling you, don't be convinced by all the different programs and all the different fluff and the coffee shops and all the different signs and posters and whatever billboards they can get. It don't matter because when you live for God and you obey and live in this truth, I'm telling you, you leave changed. You leave different. That's what the word is designed for. And so, uh, man, let me go ahead to my, I'm, I'm skipping things. And, you know, when I, when I tried in my mind to rehearse how I was going to say things. I was so nervous. I was like, God, give me the words. And I had all these little things I was going to say, make sure you talk about this, make sure you talk about that. And I come up here and it's gone. (laughs) And God's just like, you know what? (laughs) I'm just going to have to give you the words. And I'm like, God, I surrender to that. So, So that's the prescription of the church. And, uh, So the enemy will try to capture us that way. They'll try to convince us. But if the enemy is still not clever enough to get us in that little trap, he'll try to convince us in our inability of ourselves. He'll try to convince us that, yeah, you can live for God, 
But what I what the script what you've read, what you've heard and, sp- and heard spoken over the pulpit, that's not for you. That's for someone else, right? When Bishop did his impartations, and this is something I definitely still struggle with sometimes and of myself. Can God really use me in that way? Does God really want to use me in my workplace? Does God want to use me on the college campuses? Does God want to use me in ministry? And we rule ourselves out. And so we believe in God, but we say, Lord, I'm not the one. I'm not the one that they should choose, that should be speaking. And I thought that all throughout this week, that this should definitely not be me up here. But I'm telling you, God doesn't look at the attributes that man looks at. God doesn't look at the characteristics that makes you a good speaker, that makes you a good candidate. He's not looking at your resume to say what good things and bullet points that you can say you have. All he's looking for is a willing heart to say, I will serve you no matter what. I don't care what's facing me. I don't care what people may say about me. And I know I'm definitely not, I'm just not that type. I look at myself in the mirror like, what, what's the saying is you have a great personality for radio, right? Like, sure, I'll do radio. But you rule yourself out, and all throughout Scripture, we say that to ourselves, but through, all throughout Scripture, God uses those who ruled themselves out. Moses, he was a poor public speaker. Joseph, he had a bad hand dealt out to his life. And we can make all excuses and say, God, my situation isn't lined up this way. I'm not raised in, in truth, or I'm not raised like this family is, and I don't have a heritage in this thing. But God, if he wants to use you, he's going to use you. And we can make all kinds of excuses. David, he was overlooked and discounted at a young age. Saul, the first king of Israel, everyone looked at him and looked at all the surface features. He looks like a king. He's his tall in stature. That's who we want to lead our kingdom. But David, a young shepherd boy, and no one recognized him, and he was discounted. He wasn't even the lineup in, in Jesse's sons. And God's that's the one I want to use because he has a relationship with me, because he sought me by himself when no one else was looking. And there are many of us here that you've done the same thing. You've had relationships, and, and, and you've prayed to God, and you say, God, you can't use me. It's like, no. I see the prayers that you've made in secret. I see the time you spent on your knees. And that's what I use. And I'm sorry if I'm... I'll try to get through this here. But we rule ourselves out. And I I know I've done that so many times. But now I'm at a place that I just want to be used how God wants me to be used. It doesn't matter if I'm in the back and all I'm called to do is sweep and mop. If that's what God wants me to do, then that's what I'm going to do. And God's going to help me to do all of those things. So back to our scripture. Thomas, we know in the New Testament, he was one of the disciples that didn't see Jesus when he appeared to the disciples in that closed room. And there's this quick little scientific fact that I thought was really interesting, but um, this may seem like a diversion, but there's this principle that atoms are mainly, our atomic structure is mainly negative space. 
It's empty. So people have theorized, well, why don't solid objects cross through each other if at the atomic level they're just mainly empty space? So there's this principle called the Pauli exclusion principle that basically it states that at an electromagnetic level, solid objects at their mass, they repel each other. And that's why solid objects don't cross through each other, why we can't cross through walls, right, for instance, in case someone wanted to leave here really quickly, right? <laughs> I wouldn't advise it. It would probably cause a really severe headache. But we can't pass through solid objects, right? That's a, a law of quantum mechanics. People far smarter than me could probably explain that to you better than me. But that principle that God spoke into creation at the very beginning of time is the principle that prevented, that would have prevented by all accounts anyone from entering the room where Thomas was at. That principle says, no, you can't go through this solid object. And the scripture was adamant about saying that that door, the doors were closed, all the windows were shut, there was no way in. And Thomas was crying out in of himself, and he's saying, unless I see it for myself, unless I see the prints in his hands and the scars on his side, I won't believe. He was in desperate need of Jesus. And Jesus said, you know what? Even the very laws of physics that I set into place that by all means and logic and reasoning don't make any sense, I can bypass it, I can cross it, and I can enter that room where you're at. And I'm telling you, there's no situation that you're in. There's no circumstance that you're facing that God cannot reach. There is no, nothing that can separate you from the love of God. For I am persuaded that neither life, nor death, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any created thing shall separate us from the love of God. I'm telling you, there's no law. There's no logic or reasoning. God will get to your situation. God will cross any barrier. He'll send any need. There's nothing God cannot reach or do in your life. I'm sorry, Bishop. I don't know if I've crossed time. But I have one last point to make if I'm able. And I'm sorry, Brother Josh. Thomas was ready to give up on God. Thomas was at a place. The disciples all thought there was going to be this earthly kingdom. The disciples all thought, they all argued, who's going to be that your right hand side? Who's going to be the greatest in your kingdom? And then he was crucified. And all their plans and ideas were thwarted. I was planning on serving with Jesus in this new kingdom. We were going to overthrow the Romans and it was going to be awesome. But now they're, they're, here they are, they're hiding from the Jews. They're hiding because they're in fear of their life. And the disciples said, we've seen Jesus. They were hiding too. Scripture says they weren't even aware of the, res- the scriptures of the resurrection. They didn't know God's plan yet. And they were in hiding. And Thomas said, I've given up all hope. There's no way God can reach my situation. And we think, and I've, I've heard it preached so many different ways. That when Thomas was in that room, I just need to see God and I'll believe. He was at a place, but he was basically saying, was that this is the only thing. I don't believe. If 
I have to see it for myself. I have to see the palm prints in his hands because if I don't, there's no other solution. I witnessed him being crucified. I witnessed our dreams shatter before us. And let me tell you that Jesus not only came to his situation, he subverted everything the disciples thought was going to happen. And Jesus came and he revealed himself to him, to the disciple. And he said, you know what? The thing, the expectations that you had for your life, I'm turning it upside down on its head. And all you need, the only proof Thomas needed, Jesus extended his hand. Jesus had him reach and touch his wound. He said, this is all you need. It was so powerful that Thomas could have had Jesus give him all kinds of plot points. He could have gave him graphs and said, this is how I'm going to work. This is how I'm going to operate. You're going to be seated uh, beside me in this throne. But no, Jesus said, this is all you need. My grace is sufficient. This is all you need, the palm prints. I went to the cross and died for your sins for a new plan for salvation so I could know you and you can know me. He said, here, look, touch, feel. How is that reassuring? It's reassuring because that's God's plan for our lives. And that's what we're living in today. And that's how you and I can have relationship. And so even if God thwarts your plans and flips things on its head and things don't go to expectations, I'm telling you, because I struggled with it. I struggled with the loss of my mom and saying, God, how is this in your plan? And I look and I just be totally transparent. I look at other families and see how they're having, they're able to see their grandchildren and how they're seeing their families together. And God decided to take my mother. How is that in your plan, God? And I struggled. Is God real? Does God really care for my life? I'm so sorry, Bishop. How could this be your will, God? And I still struggle with it, wanting to hear her calls, wanting to hear her text messages, even though she would annoy me incessantly. How are you doing? Are you praying? And I remember the day that I went to go see my mom in the hospital. No idea. No, I had no clue what God was, what was to happen. I'm sorry, Adam. And the last thing I talked to my mom about, she, she always believed in me. She, she, came, she was lying in bed and she said, brother, or her brother Andrew. She didn't call me brother Andrew. She called boy. And she grabbed my ear. She said, Andrew, can you pray for my leg? I didn't know what the condition was. I didn't know what was happening. I thought she was going to get released. And I almost just half-heartedly went up there. She always asked me to pray for her. Little minor aches and pains. Oh, my my feet hurt. Can you pray for me? Okay. And I prayed, and and I just did a simple prayer. God, heal her leg. And even still, she passed away. And me and my brother, we were in 
what they would call the, the grieving room. And they were still trying to save her life. And I'm sorry, I, I don't know why I'm sharing this with you. It's personal, but he and I, we were just praying in tongues. Just praying, crying. God, change the situation. Do something. And I still don't understand. But I know my mom raised us up. That in time of crisis, that was the first place we went. Was to prayer. And we prayed, my little brother prayed so hard. And I struggled for so long, and I'm still struggling. God, why? But just like Thomas, who thought everything was done, everything has been messed up. There's no way God can redeem the situation. There's no way God can continue to use us. There's no more miracles. Everything is done. Thomas said, if only but I see the palm prints in his hand. I don't understand it, church. I don't know. But God, I felt like as I read these scriptures, you don't understand, but this is all you need. My death on the cross is all that you need. And I know what my mom would have wanted me to do and continue to live was to live for God and never abandon it and say that God wasn't real and then say that God couldn't do because God does everything. He's in control of everything. The scripture says, and we know this, that all things work together for good to them that love God according to his purpose and his will. I just have to trust God. I'm going to struggle. I'm going to stumble. And Bishop, you'll see me. And you may, maybe you may not see it on the surface, but internally, it's painful. But God said, if you continue to serve me, if you continue to live for me and give your all for me, I'm telling you, you'll see your mother in a good place, in a better place than anything the world has to offer. There's nothing that this world could give that's greater than where my mother is right now. And in that, that's what I place my trust in. That's what I place my whole life in is his hands. This is all that you need. This is all that you need. So. I'm, I'm, I'm pretty much it. This is all that you need. And Bishop talked about it in the last couple of services. How that there are situations in our lives and we're thinking, God, it's impossible. 
There's no way you can answer it. I've put all the things on paper. I've done the calculations. It's, by all logic and reasoning, it can't be done. And you'll be tempted. And the enemy will try to sway you and say, that's right. And that's when your, your time is to walk away and say, this isn't for me. But I'm here to tell somebody. Somebody might have been struggling. Somebody might have been saying my situation is too big for God. The evidence suggests otherwise. God is big enough for your situation. God is big enough for whatever you're facing. It doesn't have to make sense on paper. That's what I put my, trace, my trust and faith in. The Hebrew boys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And I'll end on this. When King Nebuchadnezzar brought them to the furnace to be burned to the death because they would not bow, they came and he, he said, essentially, this is your last chance. Make up your mind. Make your decision. And we find ourselves in this place. And they said, King, we do not have to answer you in this way. God will deliver us. But where the twist turns for me and Thomas, it says, but even if he doesn't, we will not bow. Even if he doesn't answer the way we want him to, even if he doesn't meet our expectations and fill in all the blank spots and say, God, this is the way you're supposed to do it. This is the way that I need it to see, be seen done. They said, no, it doesn't matter if I'm burned to the death and it's a gruesome and grueling death. I will not bow don't bow to your situation. Don't bow to your circumstance. Don't bow to the news. Don't bow to what you're seeing in the news articles and all over the world. Give yourself to Christ. And I'm telling you, Nebuchadnezzar saw four. He saw four in the fire and he said, who is this, this, this silhouette that I see that is the shape of the son of man? God will be in your situation no matter how hot no matter how burning the fire may be, how grueling it may seem, God is there with you in the midst of it. Hallelujah, Jesus.